0: Lord, we just ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. We ask you to guide and lead us as we study and show us what you would want us to see from all of this. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. First Chronicles, chapter 28. We left off on verse 11, but I do want to back up to the beginning of that section in chap- in verse 9. And you, Solomon, my son, know you, the Lord, the God of your father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a w- willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands the imaginations and thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Take heed now, for the Lord hath chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. And David gave Solomon his son the pattern of the porch and the houses thereof, and the treasuries thereof, and the upper chambers thereof, and the inner parlors thereof, and the place for the mercy seat, and the pattern for all that he had by the spirit of the of the courts of the house of the Lord, and all the chambers round about, and the treasuries of the house of the Lord, and the treasuries for the dedicated things, also for the courses of the priests and the Levites, and for all the work of the service of the house of the Lord, and for all the vessels of the service of the house of the Lord. He gave by the weight of things of gold and for all instruction instruments in the manner of service, silver also for all, of silver by weight and for all instruments of every kind of service even the weight for the candlesticks of gold and the lamps of gold and the weight of every candlestick and for the lamps thereof and for the candlesticks of silver by weight and both of the candlesticks and also the lamps thereof according to the use of every candlestick and by the weight he gave gold for the tables of the showbread for every table likewise silver for the tables of silver also pure gold for the flesh hooks and the without that spread out their wings and covered the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. All this said to David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me even all the works of this pattern. I'm going to stop there. So here we have, we've been studying chapter after chapter of David organizing the priest. He's organizing the collection for the, the new temple. Uh, he's been organizing everything and we have looked at the beginning of this chapter that it was in his heart to build the temple and God said no you're not going to build this temple your son's going to build it and now he's going on with his instructions to Solomon he first tells Solomon on the two verses that we read last week you know follow God follow God with your whole heart because God knows the heart and then he's told him you know uh, take heed now the Lord has chosen you to build the house be strong and do it and that's where we left off last week all right um, and then it says then David gave to Solomon his son the pattern for the porch the houses thereof the treasuries thereof the upper chambers thereof the inner labor thereof and the place of the mercy seat and the word pattern here we would probably say blueprints whatever the equivalent of blueprint in in his day he's saying this is what you're doing and if we get in here he's going to say he gave the weights i mean he went right down to the weight of everything that it was going to be not just patterns and everything but he goes this much gold this much silver Uh, david has put a lot of thought (laughs) into this temple and it says to the end of the section that i read that god inspired him God told him what to do uh, so huh yeah Moses was exposed you know, everything down to down to the letter and it seems that David was told the same things by God if you're going to build me a temple this is the pattern you're going to follow uh, and so David gives him the I'm going to say blueprint because it, you know that's basically what the pattern is. It's not probably exactly what it is, but he's given the dimensions and everything. It's uh, given him the blueprint for the porch, the front part of it. He's given it for the the treasuries, the upper chambers, places where the where the priests are going to be hanging out when they're there for their week's worth of service. He's got places for the tithes and offerings to be stored, uh, and all the gifts. And he says, and he also gave him for the inner pollers, which would have been the holy, the holy of Holies and the Holy Place, and for the place of the mercy seat of the, the Holy. He gave him the pattern of all that he had by the Spirit. Okay, so here he is at the beginning saying, God gave him the directions. And this is something that is very important for us to understand in the Scriptures. God spoke to these individuals and instructed them what to write. Now, did, he, did they write in every single word, that, you know, did God speak word for word? I don't think that's necessarily how he did it. But they had, because we see all through the scriptures, there's this the scripture written by about 40 different authors, and we see personality in each author. And we can look at it and say, well, this person looks like, you know, Jeremiah. You, you, you read the, the laments and the sorrow and the weepingness of, of Jeremiah. In Ezekiel, you see the, the bold, strong priest, you know, attitude. Moses, you see that strong leadership that gives them in knowledge. And each one of these is written by somebody that has their personality revealed. So God allowed their personality to come through as they wrote. So he didn't he didn't dictate to them. And even if he did. I'm not sure if you're aware about this, but even when letters are dictated to a secretary, the secretary is the one that usually will format and organize the the letter, even though it was dictated and and clean it up, uh, organize it just just so. Uh, so even when God would dictate, they would put some of their own personality in there on those on those words. So even if He dictated, you still see the personality come through the style. Uh, and we saw that even in the epistles of Paul, Paul would say, so-and-so wrote, some, uh, dictated this letter and, and was the secretary or the scribe for this letter. And you'd see that person's personality in it. Everywhere he said that you know, this individual was the one that wrote it, you saw that person's you know, personality coming through on Paul's letter. And so people look at Paul's letters and go, well, they can't all be written by Paul. Look, they're all, they're all different. Well, he dictated to different people. They put different styles in, different organization in. And so David here is saying he had all of this by the spirit. God gave him all this information. He goes, of the courts of the house of the Lord, of the treasuries and the treasuries for the dedicated things. So he's he's going down a long list. And this really gets us an idea of what was built around the temple. Uh, when we put his words to it, Solomon's words to it, and then history's words to to the whole temple, we see all these things that, that were going in. And when you see the pictures of the temple, you have a great big wall around the whole thing. You've got the interior with the holy place and the holy of holies. And around that wall, you have all these chambers that were built. You know, some of them were for treasure. Some of them were for for armory. Some of them are for sleeping quarters and, and storage places. And then outside that, you had the, another court which was called the court of the Gentiles and the court of the women where, where the rest of the people were able to come. And inside the main one, you had all the tables to cut up the, cut up the, all, the offerings and everything. Uh, this was an elaborate uh, construction that David is laying out. And he says it all came from God's uh, instructions. And, uh, and it says also in verse 13, Also for the courses of the priests and the Levites and for all the work and the service of the house of the Lord and for all the vessels of service in the house of the Lord. So again, he's saying God has inspired all of this. Now This is the first time we've seen him talking about God inspiring it. Before, he was just organizing the 24 orders of the, the priest. So the priest would be uh, one week a, a year, two times, you know, two times in the year, and we know that on the Sabbath day there was an overlap, so they worked from Sabbath to Sabbath. So each Sabbath had two courses of priests working in it, so that they could handle all the sacrifices on on that day, which were more than the rest of the week. And so he says, all of this has been organized the vessels of service for the house of the Lord. And then in verse 13, he gave of gold by weight for the things of gold and for instruments of all manner of service, silver for all manner, for silver by weight. What he's saying here by, by weight, he's saying this is how much this is going to be. You are going to use, you know, three pounds of silver in this candlestick. You're going to read, this fork is going to be, you know, 16 ounces of of gold or silver, I'm just making up numbers, but David gave him exactly what these numbers should be as he he, uh, put these out there. He was not leaving it up to, okay, I want you to make forks. Well, how big are these forks going, you know, flesh forks going to be? How big are these candlesticks going to be? God said exactly, put this much gold, this much silver, this much bronze, you know, I can't imagine, you know, because I think about this. When you see blueprints, even for our day, you know, they can be pretty thick when you look at a full set of blueprints for a pretty large building. He's building a temple that is a huge, magnificent structure and many, many sub-buildings and and sub-rooms all around it. And he did not have the ability to computerize them and, and all of this. How much... Paper did he give to, or parchment did he? Give to people, saying, "Okay, here's all your plans, son." <laughs> you know, did he hand them in as a book? Did he give them, put them in a box, chest? I don't know. But you know, you think about this. He's building a temple. He's building the walls. He's giving specs for everything that's going to be built. Uh, I, part of my training in, in computers was to be a uh, an analyst to make plans and. You know, we would turn in. You know, when when I was training, we would turn in, you know, 50, 60, 100 pages of instructions on how to, to build the, a program. <laughs> All right, can't imagine this. You know, he's giving him specs for everything. You know, how how much weight to put in those those forks and those and those uh, snuffers and and candlesticks and everything that's in the temple. Now, how did David know everything that's in the temple? It would have definitely had to have been the Holy Spirit because he's not even allowed into the Holy of Holies. He's not allowed into the holy place. All he knows is what, Saul, uh, what uh, G- uh, Moses wrote, probably talked to some of the priests to know what was inside and all of this, but he's observant. He's seeing this. He's listening to God on how to build all of this and what to build. And he's putting together a huge plan. He's leaving nothing that would not be planned. Huh? David would have never been in the holy place or the holy of holies. Never. He was not a. He was not a Levite. He was a, He was of Judah. It was not his permission to be the only one that could go into the holy place where the priest, and the only one that could go into the holy of holies, was the high priest once a year. So David, as a uh, of the tribe of Judah. Would not legally have been allowed to go into the holy place of the holy of holies. The only thing he would have known about it would have been what what uh, Moses wrote in the Pentateuch. No, no. At best, he could have had it described to him by a couple of the priests. <laughs> what what is in there? What 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 is on there? But here he says God, by the Spirit, <laughs> told him because when Moses wrote this up, nobody had ever seen it either, and he wrote. He wrote up all of this, Uh, and he was told to make it by the pattern. Now, nowhere does he tell us that he told him exactly how much weight and everything to use, but I am sure that God told Moses the same thing. This is how much weight, this is how big, you know, this is, and then Moses passed it on to the the craftsmen because God said, make it exactly by the pattern I have shown you. So I believe that Moses probably was told the same type of things. Uh, we're just not told that he did it. God was behind it on both on both sets um, And then it says in verse fifteen, even the weight for the candlesticks of gold and for the lamps of gold, the weight of every candlestick and for the lamps thereof, and for the candlesticks of silver and the weight, both the candlesticks and also for the lamps and for according to the use of every candlestick. And by the way, he gave gold for the tables of showbread and for every table and likewise silver for the tables of silver. So here he's going on, he's just listing here and I'm not gonna comment a whole lot because it's the same comment I would have just made. He's given all the weight. Uh, In verse 17, he goes, and also pure gold for the flesh hooks and the bowls and the cups and the golden basins. He gave gold by weight and every basin and likewise silver by weight for every basin of silver. The flesh hooks—if you don't know what those were—were were these were used by the priest when they would be burning the, the sacrifices. They would reach in with the hook and just hook out hook out their meat, <laughs> and that was their share of it. Whatever the hook came out with was what they got to keep. Um, and if you remember the story of Eli and his sons, you know, before Solomon took over, they were trying to hook this meat before it was. The altar. And they're basically saying, I want the burnt meat and the well done meat. I want this, you know, nice, raw, tender meat. I don't want the stuff that's coming, I don't want it boiled in the pot, I don't want it boiled in oil, I don't want it cooked on the on the altar. But the idea was that they were supposed to take it after God had consumed what was the best parts, they got theirs. And so this is what the flesh hook was. It was a usually a three-pronged hook that reached in and pulled whatever they got. And then bowls, plates, and cups, and and all of that stuff. And all the stuff was used. Part of the cups would have been used for the drink offerings. Uh, there were bowls all over the place because you're going to have to capture the blood that was on there to be you know to be properly placed upon the altar. I mean there's a lot more to these altars than we think of. You know, we just think of well, they they killed, they slit the throat of an animal, put it on the altar. There was a whole lot of work involved in this. Uh the skin, the hide was not burnt on the offering unless it was a burnt offering. So they would save these animals. remember the Levites got the got the skins. That was part of their part of their was the skin so that they could have them tanned or made out of things or sold or whatever they wanted to do, the skins were theirs. A small portion of the meat was theirs. I just wonder why did they always uh, give all the, like their gold plates, gold bowls? Um, why was there a reason that they list all that personal personally? Why did they list it? Yeah mostly to show the generosity of the people and when we get to here we'll see yeah. how generous yeah. they are <laughs> how we're, we're going to look at the prices of, of the amounts of the stuff God gave that they gave to God I mean, um, I, nowadays, well gold at that time probably wasn't quite as valuable as we value it that's oh. uh, why we turn it into our prices it, turn, it comes it, it's an China amazing yeah it like, would be like we my good china is what I've got. Uh, their thing, I mean, um, flour was very valuable. Fine flowers like our white flour today. and, and uh, husks in it. And it took a lot of work to grind it that Especially in David's and in, in Solomon's day because we're gonna read in the next chat, the next book that Solomon made silver and gold of no value. He goes was so much silver in Solomon's day that it was like dust. He wanted it. <laughs> gold wasn't you know, when you're talking about tons of gold being around. What it takes to refine silver? You know? It was a lot of work, but they had lots of it and all that. So I mean it was but I, it is. Well, Chronicles is is basically the diary of the of the of King David, and Second Chronicles is a very quick story and diary of all the kings from David to to Jehoiachin. <laughs> but this is a big deal. First Chronicles, the whole book of First Chronicles has been. Leading to the building of the temple. And so when we get to the temple, because that was the focal point of the whole book, they're giving us lots of details about the preparation uh, for the temple. lots of detail. Yeah, lots of detail. And for us as Gentiles, it doesn't mean quite as much as it did to the Jewish people reading through this. Uh, Let's see, I left off. Oh, verse 19. All this said David... The Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me, even all the works of the pattern or the plans or the blueprints. God is the one. So he said it the beginning. And here at the end, he said, God gave it to me. God gave me this plan. He helped this to be written down. So we're here looking at it and saying, how much does God care about what we do? more than we even know he has a plan and he wants things to be done decently and in order and he will organize this and when we listen to his plan life is better because we live by a plan when we don't listen to his plan how many stupid things do we do and then regret uh, and i would also say be careful when you say god told you something <laughs> you know, uh, i have been in churches where the end of all arguments was God said. And I looked at some of them, I'm going, well, you know, what you just said doesn't match the Bible, so you did not hear from God. (laughs) Point blank. Now, if it matched God's word, then I won't have a problem with it. But I also didn't let it in an argument a lot of times, just because they said God said. Uh, Those are supposed to be magic words, don't argue with me anymore, this is what God said. Uh, And you know, if I trusted them, I would I'd believe it, but also wouldn't trust them. And if somebody has to tell you God said or tell you about their position or tell you about their authority, they really don't have that kind of authority. When I was training managers, I told all of them, if you ever have to say you have to listen to me because I'm the manager, you're in trouble. <laughs> you know, uh, because someplace your authority is not recognized. And I've seen this over and over. It doesn't take me long to recognize that somebody is a teacher. Listen to what they say and how they say it. They don't have to go, you know what, I've been a teacher all my life. You very quickly know whether somebody is a teacher or not. You very quickly know whether they're a pastor. You know, you don't have to have people going, you know what, I'm a pastor, you've got to, you've got to listen to me. And again, if, they're, if, they're, if that's their way of doing it, they're not really living out the life of the shepherd and the teacher that they need to be living out. And and here we have this. In verse 26, David said to Solomon, his son, Be strong and of good courage, and do it. Fear not, nor be dismayed, for the Lord God, even my God, will be with you. He will not fail you nor forsake you until you have finished all the work of the service of the house of the Lord. And behold, the courses of the priests and the Levites, even they shall be with you for all the service in the house of the Lord, and there shall be with you for all manner of workmanship, every willing, skillful man for any manner of service, also princes and all the people will be holy at your command I I get this picture that David is worried about Solomon all right because first this is the second time now he's saying be strong you know and now he adds courageous and this term is used. Frequently in the scriptures. Be strong and courageous or of good courage. What does God know about us as human beings? He knows first off we have a tendency to uh, be afraid. And to back off of things. And over and over again he says be strong. Be courageous. Fear not. And this is the wonderful thing. If you do a study in the, on the word fear one-third of the words times that fear is used, it is fear not. One-third of the time. And there's, if I recall correctly, there were 2,300 times that the word fear was used. (laughs) Which means the majority of them, a large portion of them, are fear not. When God says something that many times, (laughs) we need to be listening. Also telling us that we have a tendency to, be afraid. And we all know that that's true. We know we're supposed to talk to somebody or to something and what happens immediately we get afraid of anything. Everything. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. Uh, Satan's whole plan is people so afraid that they do not do something. It's an amazing thing to me is how many fears that are out there today. You know, we're some we're getting so many fears that I don't even know what's going on with all the fears. I don't know if we're getting more fears or, or the people are willing to admit that they have the fears. I don't know. But we have people afraid to go outside, people afraid of rooms, afraid, you know, afraid of being around people, afraid of, afraid, afraid of not being around people, <laughs> afraid of the dark, afraid of the light. You know, there's so many fears out there, and, you know, and the world is encouraging fear. You know, we're living in a day where everything is being pushed toward being afraid because fear paralyzes. And Satan understands that. He is trying hard to make people afraid. And this is why we're not to be afraid. If we truly trust in God, what do we have to be afraid of? You know, now, Paul said, neither height, nor death, nor nor width, nor will keep us from the love of God, well, it also won't keep us away from the, the, the presence and support of God. All right? So we need to really understand how big is our God, how powerful is our God, and start leaning on him. And this is what David's telling Solomon. He says, my God, even, uh, for, the, for the Lord God, even my God will be with you. All right? So he's saying God is going to be with you. That should be enough in and of itself to tell us. It's just the same thing from from Joshua taking over from Moses. That's what we think of be strong, be courageous. You know, having seen that David had prepared so well, why would Solomon be afraid? It's a big task, but it's. it's Partially because he's young, young, it's a big task. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> it's a God t- task, which means Satan's going to be actively against it as well. There's that. So, I don't know how familiar they were with that kind of attack. Yeah, but I think it's just, and David understands. You know, David probably understands that he's been afraid at times of what's been going on. He understands that there is fear. He, he's, he's led soldiers into battle, and he understands fear. Even though they're well-trained, he understands their fear. Here he's laying on a big task figure we're going to look later on but he Solomon is probably somewhere between 12 to 24 years old when he takes the throne we don't know exactly because it's never told to us I don't think he was 12 I think he was closer to around 18 19 20 by the things that happened and most of the commentators think that somewhere around 20 ish this is a big responsibility to put on somebody who's 20 years old who's never built anything as far as we know all right uh, you know, oh by the way, this is your first job, and we're going to put you in charge of building the temple for God. No, uh, pressure. no pressure at all. <laughs> no pressure at all involved in this. But there's not one, already here, and you're the first to do it. You're the first to build a temple It's never been done before. Here you go. Uh, build this temple. And it's got to be magnificent because it's, it's for God. You know, there's no pressure on him at all for this. Uh, But, you know, how many times do we get fearful when we know what we're supposed to do and we know that God's even telling us to do it and yet we can get fearful when it's time to step out and do what it is. You know, and here's David saying, don't be afraid. Uh, He will not fail you nor forsake you. So I love this. You know, he won't forsake you. God is not going to leave you. David understood God better than most of the Old Testament saints. You know, better than we do even. I mean, we have the New Testament to help us know that God doesn't forsake us. And then he says, I don't really like this until you have finished all the work of the, of the service. You know, this is a prophecy, I think, that David's understanding. You know, he's telling Solomon that while you're, on, while you're building this temple, you are going to be following God. And what do we see in the life of Solomon? Shortly after he gets the temple built, we start seeing him falling away from God. So I think this is a prophecy that David is putting into. God is going to stay on your side completely until you are done with the temple. Because then we see him start falling falling away. He gets married to too many people. He builds temples for his wives. So he gets in the mood for building temples. (laughs) builds temples for, for his wives and then starts attending their, temp- their ceremonies and starts worshiping their gods and falls away from God. So I think this is a prophecy until you have finished the building. All right. Uh, behold, and then he goes, and behold, the courses of the priest and the Levites shall even be with you. So if God isn't enough for you, Solomon, you're going to have the priest and the Levites helping you. Now, God should have been enough for him. <laughs> You know, God should always be enough for us, but how many times do we need other people in the body of of Christ to keep us encouraged and moving forward to serving God? You know, and the hard part is, and I understand this, how easy is it to follow something that you cannot see? You know, God, I'm going to follow you. I can't see you. I can barely hear you. I barely understand you, but I'm going to follow you. And one of the accusations that we get a lot of times as Christians is how can you guys follow an invisible God? (laughs) <laughs> it, goes, it used to be even worse back in the idol days. You guys, we, we go and see our temple. We see our God every, every time we go into the temple. You guys don't see your God. That was the accusation made against the Jews for all those years. How can you follow something that you cannot see? You know, we get to see our God. And he, So he says, if, if God's not enough for you, you're going to have the priest and the Levites. And if that's not enough for you, you're going to have all manner of skilled workmen there to help you out. David is really encouraging him, and it also tends to tell us that there may have been some tendency in Solomon to be rather fearful and timid, because that's going to be what Solomon says later on in 2 Chronicles that I'm just young and timid. All right? So it could be that David understood that, that Solomon was a soft spoken, timid, individual, and he's saying, Solomon, you've got God on your side, you've got the priest on your side, you've got the Levites on your side, and if that's not enough, you've got all kinds of skilled workmen <laughs> that are on your side. Well, in comparison, David had been in so many challenges and had to stand up and be mm-hmm. So he had the experience of being bold and From the very beginning, yes. even as a shepherd. Mm-hmm. And probably had a personality, David's personality probably was a more bold, uh, flamboyant personality and the thing that I want to make this point in people's personalities are not what's important God can use any personality and there are people that are, I think that are like Solomon from the description here it doesn't say this but I think Solomon was a very quiet thoughtful you know person and a lot of times males who are quiet and thoughtful are not respected Because people look at him and say, well, you're not a man of action. You don't get things done. Well, once I've decided what to do, I'll get it done. (laughs) You know, it's that thoughtful person. David was a, you know, charge first and think, you know, shoot first and ask questions later type man. Solomon, I think, is that I'm going to think things through. I'm going to analyze everything, and then I'm going to make my decision, and I'm going to act on it. Uh, Unfortunately, most leaders tend to be closer to the shoot first, ask questions later, because you're expected to make decisions and, and make them quickly. And one of the good skills of a manager is to take whatever information you do have and make a decision, the best decision you can with it. Uh, and sometimes it's better to be a Solomon and make, you know, think of the problem through a little longer. And I think that's the type of person Solomon is. He's more of the quiet thoughtful person and from David's perspective he's looking at his son oh God chose you and I'm not sure he's probably even saying I don't know why God chose you because you are indecisive and weak as far as David was concerned David made a decision and acted on it now sometimes David's decisions that he acted on got him in all kinds of trouble which is the problem with shoot first and ask questions later because but Solomon is going to be a much quieter uh, individual And I think David's looking at him and probably from his perspective, you know, he's not the one that, he's not, Solomon is not the one he necessarily would have put in charge of something this big. But God said that he was going to be in charge of it. And we know that God's strength can be fulfilled to those that are It's almost verse 19 that would encourage me the most, in being able to make the plan happen. Mm-hmm. And you were right on this. David is laying out a, an order of instructions. All right. And starting at 19, he goes, God gave me this plan. God's on your side. You've got the help of the priests and the Levites, and you got the house of the, skill, the hands of the skillful people. And pay, take your pitch one, pick, pick, which one you want to believe, Solomon. But, all of this help and God does the same thing to us you know here's my word here's the teacher teaching you what the word says here's the here's the and trust and so there's this long list and God is just laying out the order saying okay I really think you should trust me because I wrote it but if that's not enough I'm on your side if that's not enough you've got the priest on your side if that's not enough you've got all these skilled workers you're not having to go out and do it yourself because got help. And as the body of Christ, we always have help from the body of Christ. God is never asking us to go alone in whatever's going on. It might be as simple as having prayer behind us. It could be as as, as simple as somebody going out with us to do something, taking us by the hand, encouraging us. This is the beauty of the body of Christ. We build up. We, edit, we encourage. We go, Can I help? how can I help you get this done? God is asking us to do something and, and get something done. If anybody thinks that they're the Lone Ranger and they're going to get things done on their own, they are going to be dead meat when they meet the enemy because they're, you're going to be knocked down. And even when we say the Lone Ranger, if you remember the Lone Ranger wasn't the Lone Ranger. He had Tonto with him all the time. So when something did bad happen, Tonto was there to help him and he's the unsung hero the whole of every one of those episodes he's the one that is encouraging him and and moving him forward and you know and we as christians have the same thing we we cannot be a lone ranger without without our tonto somebody helping us when times get tough we don't understand sometimes what we can bear because it's not just me who bears it because if i'm yoked to jesus he takes the bulk of the weight on it and I get the smaller portion of the weight so that he takes the heavy weight and I get to go forward with this. So this is important for us. We are not. And, he's, and just as many people said that whatever, whoever God calls, he equips to get that job done. So if God's asking you to do something, he is going to equip you to do that job if you'll trust him. Now, again, here we've got Solomon going, okay, I've got my plans. <laughs> I've got lots and lots of stuff (laughs) to build this thing with. And he's still, David's still afraid that he's going to be a little fearful. He's been, David right here, is being a picture of God to us. Here's your plans, here's your skills, here's your people. Just go out and work. Just go out and do it. And it's so easy for us sometimes to say, God, I'm afraid. I'm not I'm not going to step out. I am not going to do it. And I think David's recognizing he's saying Solomon. I don't want you to be that. Here, here David is being very encouraging to him. Solomon, you've got all the help you need. You've got all the stuff you need. You've got all the plans you need. Just go out and do it. Uh, and I'm probably David's basing this. He, he's, a, he's a general. He's a commander. How many times has he given somebody a job to do that didn't get it done correct, you know, get it done? You know, because if you've ever been in charge, there's times when you give somebody a job, you know that they're, they're able to do it and they don't get it done and you're very disappointed with it. Uh, you, especially if you've trained them, you've given them all the skills, you've given them all the skill set and then they don't get the job done. I was a manager trainer, I went through this so often. You know, okay, I need the schedule and you're, you, this is gonna be your time to make the schedule, we've shown you how to do it, I need this schedule, it has to be posted by such and such time and they miss the deadline. And it's like, what happened? These people need to know when to be at work. Luckily, i had always made a schedule up just in case. <laughs> this order has to be in. I want to see it before you order it, but I need, you need to have this ready by this time. You know, I think David had probably experienced that. He's been a king. He's been a, he's been a general. He's probably had times when people didn't do the job right. And he's encouraging Solomon. Solomon, this is your job. And remember, this is, we, I don't want to belittle this. This is a huge job. This would be like somebody taking one of us who knows nothing about building and saying, I want you to build this 25-room house with uh, four or five bathrooms in it and a nice kitchen and a a play area back there and a a patio deck all around it and I want you to landscape it. Here's all your plans. Here's your money to do it. And we're going to go, what? You want me to be the general, contra- basically saying you're going to be the general contractor of this job, and I've never built a building. You know, and that would really be bad for me because I've already told you all, I'm the type that can't saw the boards in, in the right size even if I measure them four or five times. And if I do get them apart, uh, uh, measured right and I nail them together, they're going to fall apart. And then I'm told to build something like that. <laughs> I can understand that this would be a fearful thing. and. Who you're building it for is not another man, but you're building it for God and you're building a building that people are going to come to three times a year and you're going to be remembered for everything that goes into this building forever. As far as he's concerned, it's going to stay forever. To to go I don't think he did either. Now, did he know something about construction? Maybe. I don't know. Uh, did he know how to build a boat? No, because as far as we know, nobody built boats back then. You know, there was a, as far as we know, it was a Pangea, one land. Nobody needed to build a boat. There was nobody else to go visit across the sea. God didn't choose him because he was righteous. He was just well, he chose him because he was righteous, not because of what he knew about building. Did he know how to build a house? Probably. I mean, in that day, he probably knew how to build a house. So, I'm not saying he was totally incompetent, but did he know how to build a boat? No, God gave him a plan on how to build a boat. And this is what God will do. He'll ask us to do things that we're going to think we're incapable, unable to do, and in ourselves, we won't be able to do it. Over the years, I have loved watching God pick the most unlikely candidate and give them a job to do in the church and, and run a ministry. They're going, this person? This person is going to run the food bank? They, you know, they they can't even, they can't even you know, order food from their own house, and they're going to be the one running the food bank for the church. This person is going to be in charge of the Sunday school? You know, it has been amazing over the years to watch who God chooses. God usually chooses the weakest people so that he is glorified in their success. Because if he picks the strong people, people look at him and well, of course they could do it. You know, they, they've had all the skill. They had all the skills already. You know, they, you know, that person knows how to do that job. Of course they could do it. God will most often take somebody who is little to no skill in something so that he is exalted. You know, there's no way that that person can say, look what I did. Uh, now, unfortunately, sometimes they still get that way when they get overconfident and stuff. if They start losing the, the focus on God. And we need to be careful to always put the focus on God. You know, Paul said, I'm the, we, uh, I'm the least of the least of the apostles, you know. And yet he wrote the, mo- the majority of the New Testament. He was great. He was a theologian. And yet he said, I'm the least. He, I did not walk with God. I did not walk with Jesus in the flesh, you know. I was born out of season. You know, I'm not one that was had straight training with him. The Spirit taught him in the the backside of the wilderness for three years. You know, he had a different way of being trained. You know, we need to make sure that we're always focused on God and keep the focus on Him. Now, that doesn't mean that we go, oh, just it's all God, it's all God. One of the things I hate is when people go, it's all God, it's all God. Of course, it's God. You know, we know that it's God. (laughs) If it wasn't, it wouldn't be a blessing. All right, but we do need to have this humility in saying, "I know that it's God." Be willing to say thank you when somebody says you did a good job. Just say thank you. You know, you don't have to get a big head about it. <laughs> you now, uh, everybody has gifts that God gives them, and He expects them to be used. And when people can sing, let them use that gift for singing for God. If you're a teacher, use that gift of teaching. If you're a handyman, use that gift of handyman for the, for the, for the kingdom. You know, every gift is so important to the church and without some of the simplest stuff being done, we would be surprised at what, what gets done. One of the ones I would love to talk to people about is you know, how many people really know who cleans the church? Now, if they don't clean the church, we know very quickly that somebody's not doing it. But unless you're really active in the church and around when they're cleaning, you usually don't know who's cleaning a church and who's doing, the, who's doing all that cleanup, cleanup that goes, gets done. But if they're not doing it, you know it really quick. Yeah. And most of the people who clean the church aren't saying, well, look at me, I'm, I'm the one that cleaned the church. And if they are, they've got a problem. <laughs> uh, you know, so what is it that God is calling and gifted you to do? Step forward and do it. And here, David is calling out his son. He says, God has said, you're going to build this temple. I've given you all the plans. The previous chapters, I've given you all the materials. And he's going to talk more about the materials given in the next chapter. When he starts talking about all the material that has been provided for the temple. We're talking, the materials that he gave. He says, "I've, I've got timber all set up for you the rocks and stones are all for you. When David handed him the plans, he had a prefab building, basically. It was all, the work was done. He says, all you got to do is get these skilled workmen to put it together, and then they get to make it pretty. (laughs) And from whatever description, they made it a beautiful building with carved gold and etched gold and all these things. Uh, You read the description of the temple, and it's like, I can't even imagine the beauty of it. The blinding beauty of it seems how everything's covered in gold. Uh, and then the gold is etched. So if you're not blinded by the sun shining off the gold, you get to see the etchings <laughs> in the gold. Uh, and so remember, the tabernacle had bronze and gold and silver and all these things in it, and all those things had meaning to them. Silver is redemption, gold is 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 the, the for royalty, and then you had all the colors that go that get involved with it, and bronze was the it was the material for judgment, and you know we see the order, and we're not going to go into all of that because when we talked about the Tabernacle, we spent lots of time talking about how they were all pictured, and the the bronze stands that the the walls stood on judgment, but tapped with redemption of God. You know, all the stuff that goes on in this. And David is saying, we're going to build this temple and it's going to be covered with gold. This is a king building, a, a building for a greater king. And he says, I like to show gold. Gold is the color of king. We're going to put gold. here. We're building it for the king of kings. We're going to put so much gold in here that everybody's going to know that this is a, ki- a God is king of this world so that when they see it they're going to think the king uh, and all of this went down and david is giving this instruction and he says you've got all manner and then the last part i haven't even brought out he says also the princes and all the people will be wholly commit committed so he's going to say you know you've got The plan that God gave you, you've got God on your side. You've got the priests and the Levites on your side. You've got skilled workmen on your side. And all the leaders of 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 the nation and the people are on your side. What is he trying to do? He's trying to build courage into Solomon. Now, any one of these should have been enough, especially the first one. This is God's plan. And God's going to be on your side. But he's going down the list and saying, okay, you know, you've got plenty of workmen to do this. The princes are on your side. The people are all on your side. Who are you you going to be afraid of? (laughs) There's nobody left to be afraid of in the nation. (laughs) He's going, there's everybody there who's on your side, fully devoted to this building. I don't know. I don't know what he knew about Solomon, (laughs) that he's being this thorough in his directions. And I was, as your notes brought out, he's also bringing out the fact that this is also a picture to us. You know, we should be taking God's word. And then that God is on our side, that we have pastor teachers on our side, that we have the body on our side, uh, you know, and down the, down the work. So we do see this whole process of the redemption and the building up of our, of our temple as well. And so we could change these to today's, today's things, you know, God, i word. I know what you want me to do. I've got a pastor teacher. They're teaching me what to do. God, I've got other people in the body keeping me going. I've got skilled, skilled teachers on my side. And then the rest of everybody else is on my side. Now, we have a few more enemies than Solomon did because we don't have the entire nation on our side. But we do have, and the tendency of people is to be fearful. Adam and Eve, when they fell, the first thing they had was fear they were naked and were ashamed and what did they do when God showed up who they'd always been walking with in the the garden they hid in fear fear is our greatest enemy that we have outside of Satan himself but from the internal side fear is our problem we tend to be afraid and usually we're afraid of things we're not supposed to be afraid of God tells us in the scriptures, again, one-third of the times that the only thing we're supposed to fear is him. He tells us, fear not, and if we're going to be afraid, it's fear God. And if you want to know what the other third of the time the fear is used, it's just a description that they were afraid. (laughs) Neither good nor bad, it was just they were afraid. Uh, So if we're going to fear, we're to fear God, and then we're to fear not anything else, because God is in charge. The more we believe that God is in charge, the less fear we will have in our life. Because if God's in charge, and he is, and He is, if he's sovereign and has a plan, and he does, then what do we have to be afraid of? What is the worst thing that can happen to us? We can almost die. All right? That's the worst thing that can happen to us. We can be stoned like Saul was and have to be resurrected as, as it was believed in there, which is probably worse to die and have to come back. It would probably be even worse than almost dying. But he was beat several times. All the apostles were beat several times in their lifetime. And when you're beat, when it says they were beat 39 times with the cat of nine tails or the Roman flagellum, that's a severe beating. Most people died. So they were in great pain from that beating. And yet they rejoiced. God has found, over and over again the disciples said, God has found us worthy of suffering. What is our answer today when we go through suffering? Oh God, why is this happening to me? I think we need to really get back to the, to the idea that the apostles have and everything. God has found me worthy of suffering. Now if we do stupid things against suffering, that's not God. <laughs> that's just a consequence of our bad action. But when we do something and we're suffering because of what we did for God, we should rejoice. God, thank you for finding me worthy of suffering. And this has happened over and over. One of the reasons I've said this many times, I love Christian biographies, where people go over their sufferings and they say, this happened, and most often they go, and God did this because of it. You read, I was watching the, the movie, The Hiding Place last night, I wasn't reading the book, but I love the line when they're in the in the in the uh, barracks there, and uh, Corey says, "I will never be thankful for the lice <laughs> in this building," and Betsy looked over her and said, "The guards don't come in here because of the lice. You know, because in those days the women were being raped and 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 brutalized, and they're going." You don't have to worry about that. They won't come in here for longer than a few minutes to to do a count. God will use everything if we will just learn to be thankful. And we need to be able to be thankful. Now, not be thankful for the pain, not be thankful because of the pain, but be thankful for what God is going to do through the pain, through the hardship, through the trials. Through those trials, he grows us. He strengthens us. And we do need the trials to show that we're strong. It's the trials that prove that I know and believe what God has taught me. I keep saying this over and over again whatever you're learning by God, get ready for the trial in that area. Because he's going to say, basically, he's saying, Do you believe what you just learned? And I don't care what it is you learned, he's going to try it. God, I learned I'm supposed to love people. Oh, just get ready for that person who's going to be hard to love. God, I've learned that I need to be more patient. He's going to put something in your life or somebody in your life that's going to be, try your patience. God, I've learned that I need to be more courageous and brave. You're going to meet Goliath. You're going to meet the 175,000 enemy out there. Not just a Goliath, but you're going to meet an entire army out there. And God's going to say, "Well, are you afraid? I didn't want you to be afraid. I'm still God. Just be ready and say, God, I'm going to trust you no matter what it is that he puts in your path because his whole goal for us is to prove to ourselves, not to him. He already knows whether we believe or don't believe. When he puts us through a test, it's not for him to say, well, I wonder if they're going to make it today. He already knows. Who he's testing is us. God, I know that, I'm, that I am brave and I'm going to believe everything and I'm not going to be afraid of anything. God says, okay, let's see. And we believe when we say it. We believe that we're not going to fall. Peter, when he said, I will die with, for you, believed it. And he truly believed it. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he's ready to fight the soldiers coming to arrest Jesus. So much so that he cuts Malchus's ear off. He's ready to go to battle with him. And then, when he's rebuked by Jesus, said, This is not the time to fight. He goes into the courtyard and denies that he knows Jesus three times one to a servant, one to a woman, and then to a young, young woman. It kept going down further and further and say, Paul or uh, Peter, are you going to be the servant? You might understand that he might be a little afraid of the woman, yeah, maybe. But a young girl? There was no reason for him to be afraid of a young girl. And that was his third denial. To a young girl. All to prove to him, Peter, you said the words, and I'm sure you believed it at the time, but you didn't follow through. And then God restored him. That's the good news. Even when we fail, (laughs) We repent and God restores. And I love that about God. Grace is so beautiful that God restores us even when we fail. God, I will never do such and such. And we find ourselves doing it, and God says, Well, you repented, I'm going to restore you. Over and over again, He restores us. His grace renews us because without grace, we have nothing. And this is the beauty. Solomon is being encouraged. Be strong. Be courageous. Do not fail. Maybe Solomon had had a, had a habit. Maybe maybe he David had put him in charge. He's the prince. So he put him in charge of a few things before this. Maybe Solomon had already failed in a couple of the things. Maybe he's had trouble on some of the things that he's done. And, Solomon, and David said, now we've got a big job for you. We don't know the history on this. But we do know David's saying... Be strong. Get this job done. God's on your side. Matter of fact, God said you're going to do it. And we don't know exactly what the personality of Solomon was for this. But David is encouraging him. So for us, we want to stay strong. Stay strong in what God's asking you to do. And stay the course. Get it done. Lord, we ask you to bless this time. Lord, help us to always keep forward with you and to seek you and to follow you in all that you do help us to learn to trust you and we thank you in jesus name amen listening friend do you know where you'll go after you die without the gift of jesus it will be an eternity in hell without god good works will not get you there for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is a gift of god not of works lest any man should boast to spend eternity with god we must recognize that we are sinners in need of christ for all of sinning come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to, get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.